0: Are you willing to examine the traditions and doctrines that you trust in for your eternal salvation? Welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I am Don Britton and I will be your host. I will be comparing the modern traditions and doctrines of American Christianity with what the scriptures actually say. You may be shocked to find out that much of what is commonly believed in American Christianity today is nothing more than myths handed down to us by men. So please join me now with an open mind. Hello everyone, and welcome back to another Great Deception podcast. I'm Don Britton, and today I'm going to talk to you about the rapture deception. You know, today there are various teachings on the rapture, but the most popular one says that Christians will be taken away first, and those who remain will go through a great tribulation and many different troubles here on the earth. And since the term rapture doesn't even appear in the scriptures, and since the doctrine of the modern rapture has only been around for a couple hundred years, in case you didn't know that, it's not, it's not something that came with the early church or even centuries later. Since that's true, it would be wise to see actually what the Bible says about it. So I want you to pay careful attention now as we go through Scripture and to see the order in which the end of time unfolds and how things come together. Now, Matthew 24, verses 3 and 4, Jesus said this, As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, talking about the end of the age, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. So when Jesus warns us with this statement, see to it that no one misleads you, and he's talking in the context of the end times, the end of the age, be sure you're not misled about this. We should pay very close attention to what he says after that. And so let's read further in Matthew. And he goes on to say, They will deliver you to tribulation, and they will kill you. This is verse 9. They will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. And at that time, many will fall away and will deliver up one another and hate one another. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. That's Matthew 24, verses 9 and 10, and verse 13. Now, notice that Jesus did not mention anything about a rapture taking them, that is, his disciples, that would be us, Away from the tribulation that was coming at the end of the age. He didn't mention anything about that, but he said that we would have to endure to the end after the tribulation to be saved. In other words, there was the great tribulation. There were, they would deliver you to tribulation. You're going to have tribulation. You're going to go through this and that. Some are going to be killed. Some are going to be hated. And he says, and some are going to fall away and some are going to deliver one another up and hate one another, so forth and so on. All that's going to happen. And after all of that, he said, endure to the end to be saved. Now, let's continue on in Matthew. Next, let's, let's go to verse 21. For then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of, of the world until now, nor shall ever be. And unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the elect of, But for the sake of the elect, those days shall be cut short. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the end of one, one end of the sky to the other. That's Matthew 24, 21, 22, 29, 30, 31. So here we have this picture. Again, Jesus is clearly establishing here that the saints, now he's now further in the chapter from where the great tribulation occurred. He says his elect would have to endure all the way to the end for after everything else, including the great tribulation would take that would take place, before they would be taken up to be with him. So that's the order of things in Matthew 24. And he goes on to say in Matthew 13, in another place he says, he presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But when men, but when men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away but when the wheat sprang up and bore grain then the tares became evident also and the slaves of the landowner came and said to him sir did you not sow good seed in your field how then does it have tares and he said to them an enemy has done this his disciples said do you want us to then to gather them up but he said no lest while you're gathering them up you should root up the wheat with them allow both to grow together until the harvest In the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares. Notice he said, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. Again, the consistent message here is that the tares, that is the lost people, the ones who are false Christians or people don't even know God, they're going to be removed first. They're going to be bundled up for burning. And then the good wheat, the true believers, then will be gathered to the Lord. In other words, the second thing that happens is the true believers are gathered to the Lord. The first thing that happens is that the lost people, the false Christians, they're going to be gathered up and removed and bundled up for burning. Now, Matthew 13, he goes on to say, Then he left the multitudes and went to the, into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the field is the world. And as far as the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age." The son of man will come forth with his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as a sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear as as Matthew 13 verses 36 through 43. Okay. So what he's saying is at the end of the age, the reapers who are the angels of God are going to come and gather out all the stumbling blocks and all those who commit lawlessness. They're going to gather them out first and throw them into the furnace of fire where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And after that, then the righteous will shine forth forever. Again, it's the sinners and the lawless who will be gathered out first. They're the ones that are going to be taken out first and cast into the fire. Then the righteous will remain until the end and they will shine forth in his kingdom. Isn't this contrary to what we've been taught? Think about it. Isn't this just the opposite of what we've been taught? And and in Matthew 13, verses 47 through 51, Jesus goes on to continue this discussion. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind And when it is filled, they drew it up onto the beach and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels shall come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth have you ever he says have you understood all these things and his disciples said to him yes think about this everything we've seen we've seen posters and drawings and i went into one church that had a whole muriel on the wall people flying through the roofs of cars and out of buildings and and you know off the ground and going up into the sky and 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 the other people were left you know on the ground and they're showing that, that they're showing the opposite of this they're showing that the the saved people are going to be raptured out and all the wicked are going to be left, which is just the opposite of what Jesus very clearly just said. So, then then it's not the true Christian who's snatched away first by a rapture, obviously, as we've been told, but it's the wicked who will be snatched away first and thrown into the fire. Again, the true believer has to endure to the end and not fall away in order to be saved. So, It goes on in Luke. Jesus keeps talking about this in different places. In Luke 17, verses 26 and 27, Jesus said this, And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it shall be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, and they were being given into marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. So, again, didn't the flood take away the wicked and leave the righteous? He says it's going to be just like it was in the days of Noah. He says it's going to be the same kind of thing. What happened? Who got took away? Wasn't it all the people of the world, the wicked, that got took away? They got washed away in the flood. They got destroyed in the flood. Isn't this the opposite of the modern rapture teaching we have today? And Jesus goes on to say in Luke 17, verses 28 through 30, he says, It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. So we just heard about the days of Noah. Now we got another comparison. They, He says they were eating and they were drinking and they were buying and they were selling and they were planning and they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same way on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. How about that? So who got took away? It wasn't Lot that got took away. It was Sodom and Gomorrah that got took away. They got destroyed. And it was righteous Lot who was, who remained. It was just the opposite of what we're being taught today. Doesn't Jesus again make it perfectly clear here that the first to go will be the wicked using these examples, the example of the times of Noah, the example of the times of not, of, of Lot? Lot remained, but the rest were taken away and destroyed. And he goes on to say in verse 34 through 36, again, he's still talking about the end times. He said, I tell you, on that night, there will be two men in one bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken. The other will be left. There'll be two men in the field. One will be taken and the other will be left. Now, you know, there's even a movie out called Left Behind. There's books written like the late great planet Earth. and those, so, There's so many books written about the rapture and the end of time and how it's all going to happen. And it's so, they're so filled with deception. Who was it that was taken? And who was it that was left behind? Who was left behind was not the wicked who was going to suffer the tribulation. Who was left behind were the people of God. The wicked were the ones who were taken out. And so it's commonly taught today concerning, uh, let me say this, it is commonly taught concerning this scripture today that the one taken in each of these cases was raptured out and the wicked were left behind. Do you see how false this is and how inconsistent it would be with the rest of the scriptures? It has always been, it's always been this way with God, that the one taken out were the wicked. Even in Israel, when they conquered in the promised land, it was the wicked that were taken out, and they remained. It's always been that way. It's always been that the wicked were taken out first and destroyed. The man taken from the bed, the woman taken from the grinding with the other woman, and the man taken from the field, they were, they were all taken away by the reapers who came at the end of the age. They're the ones who come to remove the wicked. And these will suffer the same fate as those who perished in the flood with Noah when he survived and those who were burned up in, with a fire and brimstone in Sodom, when Lot survived, Jesus gave these examples for the end of the age. This is what he was saying. It is also commonly taught that we as Christians are not going to suffer any tribulation or trouble. We've heard that before. And that Jesus did all the suffering for us on his cross. But is that what the Bible really says? Again, I'm gonna quote Jesus here, Matthew 10, verses 37 through 39. He said, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life shall lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. So it sounds to me like there's there's something you got to go through in order to find life here. And it doesn't sound like you're going to be raptured away from it. And Jesus also said in Matthew seven thirteen and fourteen, uh, Matthew seven verses thirteen and fourteen, he said, "Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it." So here in these scriptures, we're told that the narrow way and the small gate. Are the only way to life, and the Greek word, the definition of this Greek these, these two different Greek words, one for narrow and one for small, they're very similar in meaning, but they're two different words. They mean this, they mean tribulation, they mean suffering, anguish, trouble, difficulty, pain, hardship, and so forth. That's the way to life. You're not going to go to life the, the easy Broadway. That's where everybody, almost everybody's going is the easy Broadway. It's the easy believism that Jesus did everything for you. Just accept Christ, pray the sinner's prayer, all that falsehood. But there's no cross involved. There's no personal giving up of one's life involved here. So this is the opposite of what we're being taught today. So the narrow way of tribulation and trials and persecution, rejection, being hated, uh, the difficulty uh, of having to endure to the end to be saved, this is the only way to life. This is not what the rapture is all about at all. If you don't go through the narrow way, folks, if you don't go through this narrow gate, if you don't, if you're not having some tribulation in your life because of the gospel, the true gospel, if, if you're not standing up for what's right, in other words, righteousness and holiness and repentance of sin, you know, if you're not having some tribulation because of those things, then you will not enter life. It's your cross that you must bear, not the cross of Jesus Jesus died on his cross. You must bear your cross. And your life must be given up in order to be saved. You must give up your old life in order to have life. You have to give it up because of him. Because of Christ, you're going to have to suffer. Because of the truth and the true gospel, you're going to suffer, especially in this modern American society and especially in this modern church, American church, that's so filled with sin and so filled with false teachers and so filled with false doctrines If you start saying what the Bible says, you're going to have persecution right there in your church, in your local church. Your pastor's going to come against you. Your friends are going to turn against you. Your family is going to say you're crazy. So if you're not, if you're not experiencing that, then I challenge you to even see if you have the right gospel. Now as for the, now let's talk about, let's, let's read some more scripture here. This is where Paul was writing to the Thessalonians. First Thessalonians five, verses one through six. He said, now as for the times and epics, brethren, You have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they're saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pangs upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you like a thief, for you're all sons of light and sons of day." We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. So here's what he's saying. If you're trusting in a rapture to save you, if you're thinking everything is peace and safety and there's nothing you have to go through, you know, then that day's going to come upon you like a thief in the night. You see, destruction will come suddenly upon those who are saying and those who are believing peace and safety like rapture or, or some other type of peace and safety, like it's all done for you. You don't have a cross to bear. You don't have to overcome. You don't have to repent of sin. It's only those who are entering by the narrow way, you see, through the difficulty, through tribulation, through persecution, things like this. They're the only ones who will be saved. The modern rapture doctrine is another false peace and safety message similar to the once saved, always saved doctrine, and things like that. We were warned to be sober and to be on the alert. In the beginning of this podcast, Jesus said for us to not be deceived. He wouldn't have said to not be deceived if there wasn't a danger that we could be deceived. And I'll tell you right now, all, virtually all, of American Christianity, all the denominations and almost all teachers and all pastors and all prophets are teaching falsehood. So let's ask this question then, where then, since the rapture is a false doctrine, obviously by the scriptures we've already read, where did it come from? Where did this doctrine come from? Well, I'll tell you, if you do a little research, you can find it on the internet. It all started with a woman named Margaret MacDonald in 1830. She gave a prophecy concerning end times. Her prophecy was written down and later published in 1840 and again in 1861. From this prophecy, a man named John Nelson Darby began to promote the concept of the rapture theory. And it was just a theory. And it, became, and it began to become popular after a while. And this guy named C.I. Schofield, you've heard the Schofield Bible, I'm sure, a well-known theologian of the late 1800s and early 1900s, he liked the rapture theory. He really liked it, and so he began to include it in his annotated Bibles, and from there it became widely popular in most American churches. So, this is a new and modern doctrine that was never taught or thought up before 1830. Yet this theory is taught and believed to be true by almost every denomination and by almost every paid preacher that we have today. It is no longer considered to be a theory anymore, but is actually taught as truth. The reason it is so popular is because it is just another way Satan has developed false teaching, another false teaching to tickle ears by telling Christians that they won't have to suffer and that they will have a way to escape from tribulation. The goal, of course, of Satan is to keep everyone comfortable in their sins while they're on the broad way, while they're in false religion, have false hope and false doctrines that that they're trusting in, to keep them comfortable in this broad way that leads them to destruction. See, that's the deception. It's to take them away from the truth and give them an easy road that they think is going to take them to heaven, when in fact, it leads to hell. So, this easy escapism mentality... You know, we're not supposed to be escaping it. We're supposed to be submitting to the cross of Christ, the cross that we bear, experiencing the sufferings of Christ. This easy believism, this easy escapism mentality is just another version of the lie that a Christian does not have to bear a cross and suffer, and it's a part of the easy and broad way that leads to destruction rather than the narrow and small gate that leads to life. The rapture theory says that you will have no tribulation, but the name of the small gate in Greek that leads to life is nothing, it means trouble. It, it's, it, it's, it's nothing like the, the uh, rapture idea. This small gate is the a, is a gate that leads us through trouble, through tribulation, through suffering, and through pain and anguish because we're mistreated and we're rejected. And we're going to be rejected by the mainline religion of the day. We're going to be rejected by often our family and friends. We're going to be rejected by the pastors that we once trusted in. You see, this is the way to life. This is what happened to all the apostles and all the prophets of old. This is what happened to Jesus. And it's supposed to be happening to us if we belong to him. Remember, it's the ones who are saying peace and safety who will have destruction come upon them suddenly. No one will enter life without going through the narrow way. No one can enter life without going through that small gate of tribulation and bearing his own cross. No one can. So if you are hoping in the rapture to deliver you from tribulation, then you have been greatly deceived. I'm sorry to tell you, you have been greatly deceived. If you have not or are not experiencing any tribulation as a Christian, then you should examine yourself and ask why, since that is the actual part of the narrow way that leads to life. If you don't see the terrible condition of the church today, if your eyes are blind to that, even your own denomination, even your own congregation, if you don't see what's wrong there with your paid pastor, the collecting of tithes, the teaching of false doctrine, the telling you that there's that this is where you worship, if you don't see any of that is wrong, and if you're not standing up for the truth against all of that and speaking up about it, then you're certainly not going to experience any tribulation. You can just sit right there and be comfortable everybody just be real nice to you and you can just go right on to hell you can be lukewarm and just go right on to hell you see you're supposed to have tribulation in your life you're supposed to experience persecution paul said all who desire to live godly in christ jesus shall be persecuted i'm talking about godly now i'm not talking about religiously all who desire to live godly that's live with holiness repentance of sin walking in integrity bearing your own cross overcoming as we've read before and talked about in previous podcasts. If you're not doing that, you're not going to enter life. We're all supposed to be persecuted. We're all supposed to have trouble and difficulty. Peter said if it's with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what's going to become of the godless man in the center? So that's a a good question. If it's with difficulty that we're saved, and it's certainly supposed to be, if you've missed difficulty, if you've missed tribulation, if you've missed having persecution then you've missed the narrow way that leads to life you're not even on it you cannot be right with God and be okay with this American Christianity that we have today you can't be okay with God and that at the same time no way so don't be fooled into thinking you can enter heaven without going through the tribulations that are assigned to every believer every believer has his own tribulations assigned to him if you can't identify with the sufferings and rejections of Jesus, of, of the same that his apostles experienced and all true believers have experienced in the past and all the prophets of old experienced, then what are you identifying with? Are you identifying with a denomination or you're just saying, well, I'm a Baptist or I'm a Methodist or I'm a Presbyterian, I'm a charismatic. What are you identifying with if you can't identify with those things? Jesus said, if they have hated him, they will hate you. So is that true for you now in your life? Are you being hated by anybody because of the truth? I'm not talking about religious differences. I'm talking about being hated because of righteousness. Remember that the narrow way is difficult that leads to life. And, it, and there's only a few that will find it. There's only a few that will find it. The reason I do this podcast the way I do is because I'm passionate about that. I want everyone, I want you and everyone to be one of the few. Even though I know this message is not real popular, and I know this podcast won't be real popular, but I'm hoping a few will wake up and have their souls saved. Next week, I will have another podcast on the great deception of American Christianity without Christ. I hope you listen in. Thank you for listening to the Great Deception Podcast. You may visit my website at www.christianmyths.org for more information for my blog, and for my email address. You can also get my book, The Great Deception of American Christianity Without Christ, on Amazon or on my website. Also on my website, you may download two free chapters of my book. I hope you join me next week as we continue to examine The Great Deception.